Before that, though, let's cross to the United States. Celeste Katzmaston. Is there, Celeste, a very good morning? Good morning to you. Good morning. All righty. Now, uh, let's start, shall we, with the third branch of government. We don't, I mean, we're hearing a lot about the Supreme Court these days because of various decisions that it's made. But one of the most controversial members is the Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, let's go all the way back, I think, to what, 1987 or something? I think it was appointed by Ronald Reagan. And it was hugely controversial at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Thomas uh, got uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court in 91. Um, President Bush had nominated him. Sorry, 91. No, no, no worries. And he's been, you know, he's been certainly in the news for the nomination and then for a lot of the um, his opinions and dissents. But yeah, lately, there's been some really, frankly, bombshell reporting on his extracurricular activities, I guess you could say. Okay, we will say, just to, to go back to 91, that there were allegations of really appalling um, behaviour in the office when he was a, a professor, I think. Anita Hill became a, a national figure when she reported some of the things. And he was still, I think Joe Biden was on the committee, the Judiciary Committee, that ultimately had to approve for uh, his uh, nomination to the Supreme Court. And then in his time, and there's more than 30-odd years in the Supreme Court, He's done, I think, less than just about any other justice. Like, he just very rarely writes decisions. What's he doing there? No one seems to know. And now this story has come out that basically for the entire time of his time on the court, he has, well, taken advantage of luxuries bestowed upon him by this very wealthy Republican donor. Yeah, he has. And you're you're certainly right. I remember uh, the hearings at the time and some of the things that came out about Clarence Thomas, about Anita Hill, uh, very disturbing testimony there. Um, but yeah, lately, it's there's been this reporting, as I say, uh, ProPublica is an outlet that's done major, major work on the fact that he's been taking uh, luxury vacations, uh, cruising on private yachts, flights to, you know, uh, going to resorts in Indonesia and in upstate New York and so on, all on the um, all bankrolled by this uh, billionaire uh, conservative donor activist, a guy named uh, Harlan Crow. And um, a lot of this stuff just was not disclosed. Now that it's coming to light, of course, people are asking questions like, why, why didn't you let anybody know you were doing this or ask anybody if it was okay? His argument is that he was told, he was advised that um, this was a personal sort of uh, close family friend thing and he really didn't need to be worried about it. Well, I mean, really, if you're accepting gifts of any nature over a certain amount, if you're the president, I'm sure if you're in Congress, the other branches of government, you need to disclose that. You can't take it over a certain amount. He is doing that. And, you know, all he had to do was disclose it. That's the thing. And, you know, people would obviously ask questions then about his judgments about, I mean, this bloke, this Harlan Crow, is a, a real estate tycoon, I'm led to believe. Uh, but, you know, a serious Republican donor. Who knows what he is talking about with Clarence Thomas on these private jet flights or at the resorts or at his home and all this sort of stuff, and whether he is influencing 
the decisions that Clarence Thomas is coming to. Yeah, uh, Justice uh, Thomas says that he has not, and the I mean the donor says he has not discussed. Really? Uh, they have not discussed uh, pending Supreme Court uh, opinions or um, lower court decisions that he has no business before the court. He has not had business, but we are not talking about taking somebody out to even a fancy dinner or giving them tickets to a show. We're talking about travel that if he had paid for it independently would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, this is, he is really deep in it. And we're talking about, you know, fishing expeditions and cigars and, and uh, you know, really, really high end stuff. And so I think a lot of people are more than raising their eyebrows at the fact that he's saying this isn't a big deal. This is, there's a lot of money involved in here. So the question is, has anyone ever been impeached? Can a Supreme Court justice be impeached? And how do you force someone to step down? Because it's unlikely that he would do it. Firstly, it's it's an election next year, and like last time, the Supreme Court's going to be a major part of it. And obviously, for what's happened in the last couple of years, you know, the last thing the Republicans want to do is lose a vote in the Supreme Court. So he's not likely to step down voluntarily, is he? Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like, I mean, he's obviously claiming he didn't do anything wrong. There is an impeachment process, uh, and it has been used in the past. Um, but, uh, the impeachment process would have to go through the house and considering that the, you know, the house is under Republican control, it's not super likely that they're going to say that they want their, uh, Supreme Court justice to take a walk, especially with a sitting uh, Democratic president like that. None of that math adds up. No. But um, and, you know, the Supreme Court is a very specific animal, even among the judiciary, which is a very specific branch. Um, there are ethics regulations. There are guidelines, but they're um, the sort of disciplinary process. Process. And the investigatory process is quite different than for some of the other um, offices we have in U.S. government. So in Australia, High Court, which is the same as the Supreme Court, High Court judges have to retire at the age of 70. And that was a, an amendment or change to the Constitution that Australians voted on in, I think, about 1977, I think, or right about that time. In the U.S., Supreme Court justices are there for life, and they often die in office, as we saw with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as we have talked in the past she probably went on too long she should have resigned earlier but who knows whether or not the republicans would even have allowed president obama for that were the case to replace her because they refused to do that with uh, the merrick garland nomination so with clarence thomas he's unlikely to resign it would be interesting to see whether or not he would be impeached for this or whether it even contravened any rules and maybe it didn't contravene any rules but he should have revealed it. But then, if Joe Biden wins re-election next year, wow, he's not going to resign in the next four years after that, is he? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg and so on, relatively speaking, Clarence Thomas is not a super old justice. So he has quite a few years left to serve should he um, wish to. And, um, you know, He's, as I say, he claims that he did actually seek advice about whether some of this stuff was okay and that he was told that it was not, um, he was not prohibited from engaging in these kinds of things. If this was a personal friendship, the person had no business before the court. 
and so on. But, you know, I think a lot of times in um, the judiciary and in, in legal cases, generally what people talk about is avoiding, quote unquote, even the appearance exactly. of impropriety. And I think that most people, um, regardless of their political leanings, would look at a, a justice of the highest court in the land um, taking extravagant uh, gifts in the form of travel and vacations and, and private resorts and all these things and say, you know, that doesn't that doesn't look super great. No. And, you know, if it had been a Democratic appointed judge, we'd never hear the end of it. As it is, it might just blow away. We don't know. And we also don't know when he was told it was OK. If he was told 30 years ago, he might just say, hey, I was told 30 years ago and nothing changed. You know, I never got uh, contrary advice. So that's why I kept doing it. But, I, you know, you know, it's like you've got to be seen to be above reproach, and I don't think that's the case. Not only that, his wife is a constant problem as well to him and to others because she is on the far extreme of the conspiracy theory, you know, spectrum, isn't she? Yeah, she's been involved in and has testified about uh, communicating with uh the former uh, White House chief of staff and other people um, suggesting that there's there was more to be dug up or found um, in terms of, quote unquote, election fraud and so on. And all these things have been brought to courts. They have not been successful in any state. There is no, I always like to repeat this, there is no evidence of widespread election fraud or election rigging in the United States. So, you know, there were even questions about considering that she was you uh, sort of out there on this. Should he be looking at these cases, or should he recuse? And yeah. that didn't happen. Um, but you know, it's e even if there wasn't anything wrong, you know, again, avoiding the appearance of impropriety. Uh, Justice Thomas has has participated in major Supreme Court decisions involving bribery cases by high elected officials. You know, if, if these kinds of questions are being raised about his conduct, and even if it's okay. And I, I read a quote, you know, recently, basically the person said, just because it's not illegal doesn't make it unethical. And the easy choice would have been for him to say, you know what, I'm a human being and I can go out and have a vacation and enjoy myself, but I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it within my means. I'll handle it. And then none of this issue, we wouldn't be talking about this today. Yeah, but these people get to a position where they get so many privileges and advantages it, this is just normal for them, you know? Why would I say no to this? I get so much other stuff as well. Anyway, I think he's been a disgrace to the bench and he should never have been put there in the first place. But we'll move on from that. Uh, you know, it seems every time we talk, Celeste, <laughs> there's another drug problem in the United States. The opioid addiction problem, which is, you know, a problem in Australia, but far, far worse in the United States. Well, it seems to be getting worse. Yeah, there's, and I do think that's kind of true. And it's it's very sad that every time I talk to you, there's another thing about uh, fentanyl in the heroin supply or fentanyl in the cocaine supply and all, you know, all these terrible things. But the White House has just declared uh, an emerging threat, which is sort of like a crisis level uh, threat over something different, which is now, it's not heroin tainted with fentanyl it's now fentanyl tainted with something else called uh, xylazine which is a an animal tranquilizer sometimes referred to as trank or trank dope and um among its many other fine properties is it can cause 
necrosis, which is tissue death or rotting flesh. And uh, so we are supposed to be on the lookout for not getting involved with things that can cause you to have to have your arm cut off. Charming. Now, I don't know the raw figures, but uh, they reckon in the last, or say between 2020 and 2021, that deaths involving overdoses in the South rose by more than a thousand percent. So who knows? I don't know. That might mean it goes from one to, you know, 10 or something, but still, uh, that's significant. 750% in the West, 500% in the Midwest, according to the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration. You know, I know that people will always experiment with drugs. I understand that. It's not something I've ever done, but, you know, I understand other people do it. But why they are willing to put horse tranquilizers in their body, I have no idea. I mean, that's that's not the only one as well. Ketamine, I think, isn't that also a horse tranquilizer or something like that? Like, why people want to do this for fun is totally beyond my comprehension. Do you have any understanding or explanation for it, Celeste? From what I understand, and I, I personally have not tried this, nor do I plan to, but, um, you know, fentanyl is, there. there is an, an opioid addiction problem in this country, no doubt about it. And I think that people had turned to fentanyl or found fentanyl because it's a, uh, it's an artificial, you know, it's a manufactured uh, synthetic opioid. It's uh, powerful. It's more readily available. Maybe it's cheaper or something like that uh, than heroin or, or other opioids. And um, this xylazine or trank um, is not an opioid, but what it does is that it prolongs the the high, the you know Brilliant. experience of being high on fentanyl or whatever the other opioid is. So it's kind of a companion to to opioid abuse rather than being um an op- an opioid sure. itself. Okay. So with the opioids, they were being prescribed or whatever given away by doctors in their thousands over, you know, across the US, especially in some parts of the US. This stuff though being the horse tranquilizer, I mean, do people where are they they're getting it illegally, I'm guessing, from I don't know where from vets or what. Well, how do you even get a hold of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge black market for all kinds of manufactured drugs for um, for prescription drugs. Not to just mention, you know, regular narcotics or street drugs like cocaine or whatever. I mean, a lot of states are now decriminalizing marijuana, and you can buy it in a, a nice, well lit store with music and and brochures and stuff like that. So uh, that's a different experience. But for some people, maybe you know they've they've become hooked on opioids in some way from uh, pain or something else uh, over prescription, and even that becomes not enough. Um, and so they turn to other other methods. And some of this stuff is cut up and bagged or pressed into pills or something like in a room. It doesn't come out of a factory. It can be made to look like it came out of a factory, and it might even be stamped or scored or have a number on it or something that makes it look, you know, uh, trustworthy. I mean, you don't you don't open a bottle of of you know aspirin or something in your house and say like, gee, I wonder is this real? Yeah. Is it safe? Or you have an assumption. So, just visually, um, people see this. And at some point, I mean, 
I would think that if you are sick enough and desperate enough um, from withdrawal or whatever it may be from addiction, maybe you don't care. Maybe it's just, you know, you need to, if not have some sort of euphoric experience, just stop the pain of either, you know, the whatever physical injury you have or the withdrawal. I suppose if you are desperate enough, anything that works is what you're after and you're willing to pay for it. Uh, Celeste Couchmaston is our guest in Boston. Okay, speaking of Boston, Monday is your big day, Patriots Day. And look, for those of us who only know really about it because of the marathon and the bombing, um, what happens on Patriots Day? Right. So Patriots Day is is kind of the the marking or the the celebration, remembrance, whatever you want to call it, of, um, you know, the beginning of the uh, American Revolution. So it's actually, you know, prior to uh, the Declaration of Independence. But this is where you hear about uh, the shot heard around the world. You hear about Paul Revere's ride. I mean, this is uh, the British coming out of uh, Boston into coming inland, um, going west. And so this is where you hear about Paul Revere's ride, the battles of Lexington and Concord and so on. And um, it's actually, it, it's it's a state holiday in Massachusetts. A few other states do uh, celebrate Patriots Day, but it's not a federal holiday. Um, but it actually started out in, in the Puritan times, like this day was actually a different holiday called Fasting Day. Um, and so it's actually got a, a much longer history, but eventually, uh, like everything else, it kind of ended up being about money, which was uh, celebrating Patriots Day and claiming to be the birthplace of the American Revolution was going to be a big thing for tourism. <laughs> and so you had Lexington and Concord, like the, the second battle of Lexington and Concord was fighting it out over who should get to claim to be the birthplace of the American Revolution. Fantastic. I love it. Look, you can't walk around Boston, the center of Boston anyway, without bumping into any number of tours uh, with people dressed up in revolutionary outfits explaining just what happened where, especially where the Boston Massacre took place, which was one of the sparks that led to the revolution. It's a very historic city. You can follow the Freedom Trail past Paul Revere's house and all that sort of stuff. It's a really beautiful uh, place to go, Boston. And finally this morning. Now, this reminds me of something that happened in Australia in 1979, I think, when Skylab crashed to earth in Western Australia. And, I mean, people were offering money for the first person to, you know, find it and find a bit of Skylab, uh, which actually did happen. They did find it. And I think some kid got flown to Houston or somewhere. Uh, now they're looking for something in Maine. What What's going on? Right. So there was a meteorite that came down in Maine and it was a it was a fireball, uh, you know, very vivid. Lots of people saw it. And so it came down in Maine and they think that pieces of this thing are scattered across Maine and probably parts of uh, Canada as well. So it's very unusual to actually lots of people may see a meteorite, a shooting star falling, but finding the actual piece once it hits the ground is not usual. And so a um, museum in Maine is offering a $25,000 bounty for anybody who can bring them a piece of this thing. Are you going to go out and look for it? Well, if I happen to run across it, I'm not saying I'm going to run around in the, the woods of Maine or Canada like this week. Well, you know, Maine I mean, is a beautiful state. It, it is, is an absolutely is. magnificent. It's not all that far from Boston as well. You've just got to drive through New Hampshire, I think, to get there. And look, you know, when you get there, you get fantastic 
what maple syrup or you get great you know clam chowder or uh, uh, you know like uh, lobster and all that sort of stuff so why not go to Maine for the weekend and try and find a bit of uh, this meteorite I think you well, you know, if if I get if I get a couple of hours of free time, I mean, oh, okay. they certainly seem to be making it worth my while. They sure are. All right. Well, good luck finding that, Celeste. Thank you very much, as always. We will talk to you same time in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katzmaston, in the United States. We cross to her every couple of weeks.